0: All right, uh, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. Cheers, thanks. Uh, Well, good evening everyone. Um, It's good to be uh, at UWA. I came here for one year. Uh, holds a bit of a special place in my heart. Uh, I did arts for a year and then I discontinued after that year because uh, of a few very, very low marks. Uh, I won't tell you what they were, but one of them was in the single digits, so I sort of remember that with a bit of a pang every time I come here. Um, But yeah, uh, the question we're going to be looking at tonight is what does it mean To live the life. You probably hear that fairly regularly now. It's one of the phrases going on social media and memes and everything. You know, living the life. He's living life. Are you living the life? you, You know, presumably you're doing something right or things are going well for you. Um, but it kind of assumes that there is the life out there to be lived. And I guess we're, we're questioning that. We're saying, well, is there? Is there the life out there to be lived? And we're going to come to the Bible, God's Word tonight, to try and answer that question. And the Bible gives a resounding yes, there is the life to be lived. So our question is, what is it? What does it look like? Uh, so seeing as we're coming to God's Word to look at that question, why don't we ask Him uh, for His help now as we do it? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, please help us to understand Your Word to us today. Uh, Please open our eyes and our hearts to be able to uh, see it more clearly and to be able to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So 1 John, UCI is going through 1 John as well. We're doing the same three-week course as you. Um, And 1 John is a letter written by the Apostle John to a bunch of of Christians around the Mediterranean, uh, somewhere around 2000 years ago. Uh, and these are the opening four verses of his first letter of three to them. Uh, now, the style that it's written in is a little bit interesting and somewhat difficult because it starts with the words, that which, which is uh, sending you forward to something else that he's going to talk about about later. It's a little bit like what you'd imagine uh, Master Yoda to speak like in Star Wars, when he sort of... Um, hmm, uh, he says, uh, uh, around the survivors, a perimeter create, or uh, you seek Master Yoda, take you to him, I will. So why don't, it's good if you read it again and you become a bit uh, familiar with it. And as we reread it, I want you to look for the word life and see if you can see how many times it comes up. Let's read it again. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this, To make our joy complete. So, how many times did we see life in there? Three times. Absolutely. How many times is life referred to, though? Because it sort of appears in all these little words like which, and it, and what. If we have a look, oh, there we go. Uh, It actually is referred to 13 times. So, it really is the subject of these four verses the life. So, I've got four points that um, I'm quickly going to take you through as to how we can look at this. Uh, The first is the life appeared, the second is the life seen and proclaimed, the third is the life in fellowship and the fourth is the life of joy. First one is the life appeared. Well, what is the life? That's the first thing that we have to nail. Uh, Verse 2 is a great place to find that out. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Well, it seems fairly clear that it is talking about Jesus. That's the message that we hear, uh, especially around Christmas time. Jesus being sent to earth. Jesus who is seen and testified to, who appeared, who is with the Father, the eternal life who is with the Father and has appeared To us. So the life there really is talking about Jesus. And what did the life do? The life appeared. What does that mean that the life appeared? What does it mean that Jesus appeared? If something appears, it has to appear at a certain time when and how and to whom. I'll give you a story about something that appeared in my life. I was born in 1986, and something special appeared in 1986 in the sky. Does anyone know what happened in 1986? Something that happens every 70 yeah, Haley's comet. something that happens every 75 years. there's this comet. Uh, Dad, when Dad saw it, he said it was pretty underwhelming. It was kind of a faint smudge across the sky. Um, but it comes only every 75 years. And I was zero, so I can't really say that I'm an eyewitness to it. Um, I don't know what I was doing. But in our family, it's a bit of a story because um, my mum said, right, when Fletcher wakes up, I'll I'll wake the rest of the family up. I think it was 1am or 11pm or something like that. And we'll all go out and we'll have a look for Halley's Comet. Um, And my older sister fell back asleep after being woken and she's never forgiven mum for not re-waking her up and bringing her out to see it. So she missed it. I don't think she's going to make it to uh, 85 or 90 maybe to see it again. Maybe she will. Who knows? She's 13 years older than me. Um, and uh, But it appeared. It appeared to them. Uh, it appeared to all the my family who went out outside to look in the sky and had comment appeared. And I have to trust them. Um, And I looked at a picture of it the other day in in an old history book I looked up, 1986, to see if anything happened. Not much happened, but that happened. Um, And I'm trusting them, I'm trusting the pictures that I've seen, and maybe if I make it to 74, I'll see it um, when it appears again. So, the question there is, uh, believing the eyewitnesses. John is setting himself up with some others as eyewitnesses of the life which did indeed appear. Well, what happened after that? The life appeared, and then where does John take us? We're on to our second point, which is the life seen and proclaimed. This is a big focus of John's here. He says seen and proclaimed three times in the first three verses. Seen, proclaimed. Seen, proclaimed. Seen, proclaimed. If we look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Uh, now you you might think that's that's a bit different. It's saying word of life and not the life there. Uh, I think it's different to the life, but in essence it's the same thing. I think The word of life is what they are proclaiming and the life, the eternal life, is what they saw. Sorry, other way around. Seen, proclaimed. The life is what they've seen. The word of life is what they've proclaimed. It's a bit different uh, to those of you who know the start of John's gospel where he calls Jesus the word. I think here he's focusing more on the life because it is in verse 2 that he then goes on to say, the life appeared and not the Word appeared. So I think here he's referring to Jesus as the life. Uh, And so seen and proclaimed goes three times. And uh, the life seen uh, is what John is trying to press, what he is uh, asking the Christians who he's writing to, uh, to trust him about, to believe him about. And, we, and if we have a look, we might think, how does John do this? How does John increase the Christians who he's writing to, their trust in his message? Does he do it by being impressive or smooth or winsome? It doesn't seem like it. It seems like he goes for the most basic level of reasoning. He just goes for sensory evidence. Just says, these hands have touched him, these eyes have seen him, these ears have heard him. He's almost um, daring you to go, come, come on, uh, ask me, ask me anything you want about Jesus when I was there and I can tell you. Uh, there was a, uh, a card game that I was in, uh, to, and this is a story about sensory evidence, uh, with a couple of mates of mine um, and uh, my friend who used to go to Claremont with me, Mark Seabee, and Mark Sibby used to play for the West Coast Eagles. He played in their, uh, their glory days when they went to the grand final in 2005 and 2006, and they actually won the grand final in 2006. And the 2006 grand final came up as a point of discussion in, at this card game. And one of the guys on my right um, started talking about how amazing it was, and he was watching it, uh, it, watching it on TV with his mates, and it was one of the best days of his life you know, talking about every mark and every kick like it had just happened yesterday. And then another guy on my left um, said, yeah, I mean, I was there. I was at the MCG when the final siren went. We were just hugging everyone. I didn't even know these people. We were just hugging and celebrating and cheering. It lasted for ages. And then um, Mark, who was sitting next to me, he's a very humble and uh, softly spoken guy, goes, yeah, it was pretty good. And, <laughs> and everyone just started cracking up laughing because... We should have forgotten. I mean, I think he kicked a a goal in that game. You know, um, and he didn't say this, but he could have. He could have said, you see these hands? They marked the ball. See this foot? It kicked a goal in that game. These shoes walked on stage. This neck had a a medallion um, hung around it. This hand held the cup. He had had been an eyewitness on a totally different level to the guy I'd seen on TV to the guy who'd been at the MCG, he'd actually played in the game. And so that's what John is saying here. That's why he is to be listened to above everyone else. Anyone else who comes along and professes to know things about Jesus, possibly new things, newfangled things, innovations, John is saying I was there, I've seen him, I've touched him. Uh, and so he sees and proclaims, to see and then to proclaim. In the New Testament, uh, we see a change in what we call the disciples. Disciples is uh, a word that uh, basically means students, that they were learning from Jesus. And then uh, once Jesus, after Jesus ascended, they became the apostles, those sent. They're not really called apostles back here, they're called disciples. Apostles just means ones who are sent. So those who, they initially were those who um, saw and learnt and listened to Jesus. And then there were those, they became, the same people became the apostles who were sent out to proclaim. Um, And why? Why did they proclaim? Well, the answer comes in the next verse. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship With us, this is our third point: uh, the life in fellowship. If you've been in churches for a while, you probably would have heard the word fellowship um, said here and there. And like me, you probably think, "What does that mean?" Uh, It's one of those words that we have in the Bible, but you're not really just sort of comes and goes, and and you think, "You think, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll use that word," but I'm not exactly sure what it means. Um, and on a, on a basic word level, it just means to share, to, to share something in common with, something else, with someone else, to have fellowship about something. Um, and you may have seen this yesterday at the election. Uh, you know, when you're lining up at the polling place and there's people handing out how to vote cards, I'll just choose any uh, party... Let's say, uh, there's some people holding out a Labor, how to vote card. And you've got the, uh, the energetic 18 year old student, um, at his first election, got the, got the big red shirt on, how to vote, vote one Labor. And then you have, uh, next to, uh, next to him, you might have a, uh, middle-aged Aboriginal lady. She's got the red shirt on, how to vote, vote one Labor. And then you've got the old man with his cobra. Bit more relaxed than everyone. He's been he's done this for a few years, a few elections under his belt. Vote Labor, and and you think to yourself, and all their shirts are sl- the same size, so sort of tight on the old guy, loose on the eighteen year old. Um, and you think to yourself, when, where else would these guys ever meet and be chatting and having a discussion? Probably not anywhere. But they they have a, a sort of fellowship over their passion for the Labor Party. Uh, that, that's what they hold in common, you can see it right there. Um, so that's on a, a purely worldly level, um, that's what fellowship is. But the more important quest, question for us uh, tonight is, what is Christian fellowship? Uh, to see what that is, we need to keep reading. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're not sort of a convinced Christian or, or this is all a bit new to you, you, you might be thinking, uh, hold on, that's a pretty big call. The, the God that you say has created the world, has, has been there for eternity, you're saying you have fellowship with him, that you actually know him? That's a huge call to make. And I would say you're absolutely right, you're absolutely justified in saying that that is a huge call to make. It's it's the claim of all claims, it's the highest claim, it's the ultimate claim to say that we have fellowship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. But it is the claim of the Christian that we share fellowship with one another and with God. I don't usually do this because I've only got one painting, but I brought along a painting tonight. I wish there were some primary school uh, kids here so I could kind of be on the same level of of drawing and painting. The good thing about being a primary teacher is... uh, I was just, I was just better than them at drawing, so that anything I did on the board, they'd be like, yeah, you're really good. (laughs) And my wife is an art, uh, was an art specialist teacher, and she was like, oh, don't tell me you've been drawing again. Um, but anyway, we had a, when I was in Fitzroy Crossing, we had a little, uh, the teachers would sometimes go to the art room on Wednesday night when there were no kids there and just try and bang out a few, um, pieces of art or just paint for the fun of it. And I did this one. It's the only one I've ever finished, I think, in my life. Um, And I I painted it to really show the privilege uh, that we Christians can have in um, knowing God through Christ. But there is something that's really missing about this painting. Can anyone see what it is? Talent? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry? Yeah. Well, uh, I I didn't really want to put my name to this. (laughs) Yes. That's that's the exact point that we're driving at here. There should be lines going between every one of these dots to every one of these other dots that are connected to Christ. Fellowship in the Christian life is only ever two-way. It doesn't doesn't begin with one and lead to the other or begin with one and lead to the other. As soon as we become christians we are in a family that is why um, god is referred to as the father who has adopted children children are children uh, and brothers and sisters because they have the same parents and that's the same in the christian faith we have the same father and therefore we are brothers and sisters and we share in the we share in fellowship with one another and fellowship with god uh, you see that at, at a very a very simple way to see that is when you see people praying together. They're praying to God with each other, sharing in fellowship. Uh, and we see that that's a huge focus of John's and a huge focus of Jesus's. When he, uh, he when he's praying, he prays about uh, the churches that are going to. Um, be established by the apostles and he says I pray that all of them may be one just as you are in me and I am in you may they be in us what a claim to make that we are in the father and the son and that is what Jesus prays for us so that is the life the life of fellowship but what uh, the life in fellowship, but what does it feel like? What does it feel like to be living that life? Uh, Let's read on. The life of joy. This is our last point. The life of joy. Verse 4. We we write this to make our joy complete. Uh, what, What is joy? Because joy means a lot of things to a lot of people. We called our little daughter Joy. Um, but joy can mean, you know, whatever it means in our culture. So let's look at what John means when he says joy. He doesn't say it anymore in this letter. This is the only time he says that word joy. Uh, but he does say it in some of his other writings. And uh, he gives three scenes, uh, if we're looking at the word, where he describes what joy is. The first is a wedding. The second is a labour ward in a hospital. And the third is a proud dad on the sidelines. Um, The first, the wedding. Uh, So the first scene is you are at a wedding. You're not getting married, but you are close friends of someone who is getting married. That is joy. Uh, The second scene is the labour ward. The the mum who goes through anguish for a long time, often, and then the baby is born into the world. And the feeling that the mum has is that of joy. And then uh, in 3 John, which is the third letter of John, uh, he says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. So he's, he's not even with them, but he just hears the report that they're walking in the truth and he has no greater joy. I guess from those uh, three ways that John uses the word joy and here as well, we could could summarise joy as the feeling of delight that comes from someone else or in sharing with someone else. It's an outward relational feeling as opposed to an, an inward feeling. It's something that you share and it is something ultimately that is from God that we share with one another in fellowship. Uh, and the, the other aspect of, uh, of the joy there is John is writing it, writing the letter to make his and the people with him, their joy, complete. Uh, there's an idea there that in including the Christians that he's writing to, in including them in the gospel and training them up, Uh, His joy is being completed. Uh, And that idea of uh, something exclusive that John could have held to himself, but he chooses to be inclusive with the Christians he's writing to, um, that begins actually uh, at God himself. God, who, who exclusively is perfect and was perfect, and could have stayed holy and apart from humanity, chose instead to create humanity, and then even when they were dead in their sins, he stopped being inclusive and sent his own son, his only son, to save them, to be in relationship with them. And then Jesus, when he came to earth, he could have been exclusive, but instead he chose 12 disciples who didn't have very good track records or CVs, and included them in his ministry. And the disciples. After Jesus ascended. Could have grasped. Onto the salvation. That they finally understood. But instead. They chose to include. Other people in it. The move from exclusive. To inclusive. Is something that John is. Um, making a point of here. Uh, that word. To make complete. Uh, is also seen uh, in a bit of an interesting story in John's Gospel. It's a story where Mary Magdalene is uh, is washing Jesus' feet, and she's washing his feet with her hair and with expensive perfume. Uh, And I'm not sure why John put this sentence in, but he said, uh, when he's recording that story, he said, and the aroma of the perfume filled the house, and the word that he used for filled the house is this exact word here, to make complete, and if we put those two words together, um, it, it gives it a bit of a richer meaning, that the same thing that the perfume is doing as it goes throughout the house, bouncing off the walls, into the rooms, is the very same thing that John is doing here. He is, uh, he is including, he is spreading the word of life and in so doing, he is spreading his own joy and he is giving uh, us the mandate to spread our joy by giving other people uh, the message of salvation as well. So I guess those those four points that we went through um, are sort of what it means to live the life. But uh, let me just give you two brief points of application as to how do we live the life. The first point is that Jesus is not an imaginary friend. Uh, in our culture, we probably have got to the point where we think of, of believing in things and, and believing in yourself. And the politicians talk about, I believe in this sort of Australia or whatever to make us think that uh, you know, when you believe something, you sort of are creating it in the moment that you believe it. But that is absolutely not the type of believing that is going on here. Um, At the at the the very foundation of the Christian message is a historical reality, Um, and the belief that John is asking uh, his his uh, the church that he's writing to the belief and us the belief that he's asking uh, us to entertain here is the one is the same belief that a judge sitting in a courtroom listening to an eyewitness account would exercise. He's he's weighing up the evidence. And then he's choosing to believe it on the truth claims that this person is making. And so Jesus isn't the the imaginary friend, the kind of ideology, the the ism that we follow. No, Jesus was a real person who could be touched, seen, heard and is now proclaimed. And the second point uh, springs straight out of that. That if Jesus is not an imaginary friend, then he is real. And if Jesus is real then God's love is real. And if God's love is real, then forgiveness of our sins is real and our adoption into God's family is real. And the person sitting next to you could well be your real brother or sister in Christ. Um, That was kind of um, my story uh, that I talked about before, when I started to take my faith a bit more seriously, um, uh, I know a few people who are atheists, and, and the problem for them uh, was they really had to to weigh up the evidence as to whether God existed. That was never my journey my My, my journey was that i I knew that God existed, but i didn 't believe that he he could really love me after all the things that I had done, um, you know. I, I thought he just wanted to punish me. I, I knew all about sin, and I just thought God can't love me. The number of times I've said sorry and continued to do the very thing that I said sorry for. Um, but it was it was at an M.Y.C. when I was eighteen, um, and then we were looking at the the death of Christ. That I began to understand this very thing: that if the death of Christ was a real event, then nothing that I could do could go back and change that. Uh, It wasn't me uh, really grasping something or getting to a a point of realisation. It was just the bare facts that, that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, and that has already happened. And that he promises that anyone who comes to him with true repentance, can have eternal life. Uh, and so, I guess that's our application, that that Jesus, not being the imaginary friend that is often espoused in the media, but being real, being a reality, truly just does change us when we think about that more. Uh, so let me conclude. Uh, there's, a, there's a story about the Apostle John, It's not in the Bible, so we're not exactly sure if it if it's true or if it's just a bit of a tradition, but I think it fits very well uh with the message of one John, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was true. Uh one of the early church fathers, Jerome, records what was it what was remembered about the Apostle John when he got old in age. Uh, He says, when he could no longer walk for himself. The Apostle John would be carried into church by his disciples and spoke only the words. He only spoke one sentence. He said, little children love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that you've given us. We thank you for your word, the Bible. Help us to reflect on it more, to read it more, to understand that it is real and to live a life of joy and repentance because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.